0: Welcome back. I'm Shane McClelland. I'm Lori Gum. And these are The Q-Files.
1: It is a grim anniversary. 35 years ago today, an explosion at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in the northern region of the Ukraine led to the worst nuclear disaster in history. Never warned that the graphite core reactors became dangerously unstable at low power Engineers cut power in Reactor 4 below 25% while testing emergency systems. It ignited an explosion, fire, and partial meltdown of the reactor core. The Chernobyl accident, as it is called, put 400 times more radioactive material into the Earth's atmosphere than the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima in 1945. Independent estimates argue that Hiroshima resulted in 140,000 dead. The majority of the deaths occurred on the day of the bombing itself, with nearly all of them taking place by the end of 1945. According
0: to the official internationally recognized death toll, only 50 people died as an immediate result of Chernobyl. However, Chernobyl Union claims 150 thousand people in Ukraine alone are dead from Chernobyl-related diseases, and 55,000 became invalids during the 10 years after the disaster. They argue that because of the lack of records kept by the Soviet Union regarding victims and the government's attempt to downplay the severity of the accident, we may never know the full extent of human death and illness caused by the events of April 26, 1986 and its aftermath. However, the radiation released from Chernobyl traveled further than the radioactive fallout from Hiroshima, which meant more people were exposed to radiation. European and American scientists and health organizations were reporting the radiation long before the Soviet government would admit that the accident had even happened. A Russian-language BBC radio broadcast would be the only voice to warn the citizens of the area to leave their homes immediately. The Soviet Union officially remained silent. Eugene Hutz, frontman for the band Gogol Bordello, was a teenager living in Kiev when the accident occurred. He remembers.
1: Kiev was 65 kilometers away from Chernobyl. I mean, it was close, but, you know, we still had our things together enough to listen to the BBC radio promptly and receive a message that we needed to get out. Other people stayed there for weeks and weeks later on. And, you know, that's just how Soviet government was working then. There was no official news for six days after the thing. There was nothing. I mean, kids kept going to school. And my dad and I, being rock and rollers that we are, you know, always tuning in to BBC, listening to music programs in the Russian language, well, you know, that was basically a forbidden thing to do. Hutz then began a five-year odyssey that took him to live with his grandmother's gypsy clan in western Ukraine, to American-run camps for asylum seekers in Poland, Austria, and Italy, and finally to Burlington, Vermont, where the family eventually resettled. Chernobyl changed my life forever, he said.
0: It was a global and humanitarian disaster of an epic scale. The city of Pripyat, just two miles from the reactor, had a population of 50,000 by the time it was evacuated on the afternoon of April 27th, the day after the Chernobyl disaster. The explosion itself had taken another ominous turn. The reactor now was melting down. Soviet news services carried no mention of the accident, the rising danger of radiation, or the Pripyat evacuation. The citizens of Pripyat were given only 50 minutes' notice before the forced evacuation was started. They grabbed what they could, but most, if not all, were forced to leave their homes and belongings behind. And according to the Los Angeles Times, Soviet officials even sent marching bands to soothe the 50,000 evacuated from ground zero, assuring them that it was only for a few days. If there is a true ghost of Chernobyl, it would be the town of Pripyat itself. Today it stands, just as it did 35 years ago, on the day it was evacuated, like a post-apocalyptic Pompeii. School books still lay open on the tables, homework still unfinished. Borscht and potato pancakes still on the family stoves, now dried and cracked in their tarnished pans. Dolls, their eyes forever wide open, with dresses now moldy and yellowed, still sit calmly in the corner of a nearby kindergarten room.
1: According to Atlas Obscura, the eerily abandoned Pripyat Amusement Park was only open one day, April 27, 1986, as entertainment for those preparing to evacuate the Ukrainian city following the disaster. Festive decorations still linger near the haunting rides for the planned May 1, 1986 opening, but never came. Its looming Ferris wheel has become an unsettling icon of the nuclear disaster, and visitors sometimes leave stuffed animals in its car as a memorial. The park still contains varying levels of radiation, although the concrete areas are mostly safe. But the area under the Ferris wheel has some of the highest levels of radiation in the amusement park. There is also an abandoned bumper car ride, with both rides still fully intact both Pripyat and Chernobyl remain in what is called the Exclusion Zone, or simply the Zone by Locals. Established by the Soviet Armed Forces soon after the 1986 disaster, it initially existed as an area of a 19-mile radius from Chernobyl and placed under military control. Its borders have since been altered to cover a larger area of the Ukraine. Although evacuations were not all immediate, 91,000 people, were eventually evacuated from this zone.
0: Today, the exclusion zone is one of the most radioactively contaminated areas in the world, and draws significant scientific interest for the high levels of radiation exposure in the environment, as well as an increasing interest from extreme tourists. No one can enter, except by a special permit, which is rarely granted. With such a landscape of human and environmental destruction, it only makes sense that the paranormal would find a home within this abandoned, condemned, and yes, haunted place where nobody lives. Sydney archaeologist Robert Maxwell is the only archaeologist who has ever worked at Chernobyl, completing two field excursions at the Exclusion Zone in 2010 and 2012. There is little Maxwell doesn't know about Chernobyl, on matters of both the physical and supernatural world. Maxwell tells that the legend of the blackbird of Chernobyl was something he heard about when he was in the Exclusion
1: Zone. He says, The legend states that in the days leading up to April 26, 1986, that a supernatural creature was sighted in the sky over Chernobyl by many of the men in the control room. They also claim to have seen this terrifying creature just before the explosion, Maxwell said. According to the legend, rumors went through the ranks of Chernobyl that five employees had seen a large, dark, headless creature with gigantic wings and fire red eyes. Chernobyl employees began sharing strangely similar experiences. Some had horrifying nightmares, while others received threatening phone calls, he said. Some of the workers reported their bizarre experiences to supervisors of the facility, but there was very little these officials could do even if they'd been willing to take action. Then, in April, disaster struck. The stories also describe how some first responders to the disaster site reported a 20-foot bird seen flying in and out of the column of smoke. It was several years later that the stories of the blackbird began to spread. The second
0: account I've heard of this story comes from 2007, which says that people in and around the power plant began to experience a series of strange events revolving around sightings of a mysterious creature. Also described as a large, dark, and mutated creature with large wings and piercing red eyes. People affected by the phenomenon also experienced nightmares and had first-hand encounters with the winged beast. Because the workers apparently described the blackbird as a headless, large-winged black creature with no head, but with fire-red eyes. Which most people take to mean the eyes appear in the torso. It sounds very similar to the Mothman sightings in the West. Many people believe the Mothman, like the blackbird of Chernobyl, are the harbingers of doom, in the same way that the Banshee was a herald of doom and death to many Celtic societies. Now it's become one of those fables that's difficult to track because it relies on the accounts of people who died due to radioactive contamination. The Blackbird has also become one of those fairly safe legends where, if you try to look for proof, it might not be available because the workers are dead, or maybe the sightings were never officially recorded. So for people trying to check the veracity of these claims, of course, you've got to take them on face value, because there's not a lot of history or archaeology going on. But the stories persist, even to this day.
1: And, of course, you know there would be tales of aliens and UFOs. According to the website Exutopia, elsewhere in America, another source would claim that intelligent alien life forms had taken an interest in the Chernobyl disaster. Dr. George King, founder of a New Age religious movement known as the Etheria Society, claimed to have been sent a warning of impending disaster four hours and 53 minutes before the Chernobyl plant went critical by his extraterrestrial contacts on a Martian spacecraft called Satellite No. 3. Dr. King was ordered to immediately activate the Earth's spiritual energy radiators, And the story would then be used as evidence for the ethereist society's claim that cosmic masters have always regarded nuclear experimentation as the greatest threat to humanity and have made it clear that they would intervene where they were karmically allowed. In fact, in the years following the Chernobyl catastrophe, many local people and newspapers would share stories about UFOs spotted in the skies over Chernobyl and Kiev.
0: Mikhail Voritsky, a senior scientist at the dosimetry Control Department. Dosimetry is the determination and measurement of the amount or dosage of radiation absorbed by a substance or living organism. Alleged that on the night of the Chernobyl disaster, he and many others had observed a UFO above reactor four. We saw a ball of fire and it was slowly flying in the sky. I think the ball was six or eight meters in diameter. Then, we saw two rays of crimson light stretching towards the fourth unit. The object was some 300 meters from the reactor. The event lasted for about three minutes. The lights of the object went out and it flew away in the northwestern direction. According to Voritsky's readings, the radiation levels coming from the reactor dropped from 3,000 to 800 mileritgen per hour in that time. And the Russian news outlet, Pravda, reporting on the sighting in 2002, would conclude, The UFO brought the radiation level down. The level was decreased almost four times. This probably prevented a nuclear blast.
1: Hmm. There is a long documented history of UFO sightings near nuclear power plants. In the last 75 years, high-ranking U.S. military and intelligence personnel have also reported UFOs, or UAPs, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, near sites associated with nuclear power, weaponry, and technology, from the early atomic bomb development and test sites to active nuclear naval fleets. All of the nuclear facilities, Los Alamos, Livermore, Sandia, Savannah River, All had dramatic incidents where these unknown craft appeared over the facilities and nobody knew where they were from or what they were doing, says investigative journalist George Knapp, who has studied the UAP nuclear connection for more than 30 years. Knapp has gathered documentation by filing Freedom of Information Acts requests to the Department of Defense and Energy. At the facilities where we were first designing and building nuclear weapons, at the places where we were processing the fuel, at the facilities where we were testing the weapons, at the bases where we deployed those weapons on ships, the nuclear submarines, all those places. All those people working there have seen these things, Knapp says. Are they all crazy, he continued? Because if they are, they shouldn't have their hands on nuclear weapons. George Knapp says
0: there's more activity now than he has seen in three decades. He and many others think a government investigation is long overdue. And well, if you listened to our episode last fall about the UFOs, you will know that the US government has officially opened up an investigation into UAPs. On August 4th, 2020, Deputy Secretary of Defense David L. Norquist approved the establishment of an unidentified aerial phenomena task force. The Department of the Navy. Will lead this new investigation. So we'll just have to wait and see. And in the meantime, let's continue to hope there is no next nuclear disaster. But if there is, let's just hope that the blackbird shows up. And there are more animal tales surrounding the Chernobyl disaster. One of them is that, contrary to all expectations, wildlife is thriving in the exclusion zone. No blinky here. I am, of course, referring to the three-eyed orange fish species found in the ponds and lakes outside the nuclear power plant that appeared on the television show, The Simpsons. It was claimed that the Springfield nuclear power plant, where Homer Simpson worked, caused the mutations.
1: It seems that while humans are strictly prohibited from living in the Chernobyl exclusion zone, many other species have settled there. Brown bears, wolves, lynx, bison, deer, moose, beavers, foxes, badgers, wild boar, raccoon dogs, and more than 200 species of birds have formed their own ecosystem within the Chernobyl disaster area. Along with the larger animals, a variety of amphibians, fish, worm, and bacteria makes the unpopulated environment their home. Few mutant or deformed animals have been found, and although there probably have been some, such animals generally cannot reproduce and rarely survive into adulthood. There have been some oddities recorded within the area, such as partial albinism among barn swallows, but researchers think that serious mutations mostly happen directly after the explosion. Today's wild animals look, well, pretty normal by Ukrainian standards. But scientists have noted significant genetic changes in organisms affected by the disaster. According to a 2001 study in Biological Conservation, Chernobyl caused genetic mutations in plants and animals increased by a factor of 20. Long-term effects on these species may not be known for many years. So it seems, at this moment, the animals are thriving simply because the humans have left. These beings have found that radiation is not nearly as dangerous as living amongst people.
0: And although there are not many tales of ghosts from Chernobyl, there are tales of strange humanoid creatures that are discovered by people who dare to sneak into the exclusion zone without permission. Here's one we think you'll enjoy. I'm an engineering student, currently studying abroad in Ukraine. I've been interested in the country for a long time, and I knew I had to take the opportunity to check the old reactor out. It's actually not that hard to get into Pripyat, the city with the reactor. I figured if I could see the reactor from one of the abandoned buildings, that'd be enough for me. I went there with Zach and Victor. Zach was an American foreign exchange student like me, and Victor was a native Ukrainian that we'd met in one of our engineering classes. Victor had been to Chernobyl before and suggested that we make a trip of it. Our plan was to drive the few hours to the outskirts of Pripyat, explore the abandoned buildings until sundown, then drive a ways back before setting up our tent in a camping site that Victor knew about. The drive out there passed by uneventfully. Once we arrived, we saw the extent of the abandoned city. This place was huge. We'd brought Geiger counters with us so we'd know if we were around any radiation that was too high. Our reading showed elevated levels, but nothing horrifying for the short time we'd be there. It was starting to get into the late evening, so we headed back for our car. That's when we got our first clue that something terrible was on its way. When we made it back to Victor's car, we discovered its tires had been slashed, all four of them. We hadn't seen anyone around all day and had no idea why anyone would do
1: that. The walk back to civilization would take a few hours and we didn't have cell service. We did have a tent though, so we decided to wait out the night in the city and start walking back in the morning. We gathered up our tent and some food from the car and made our way back into the abandoned buildings. We figured it might rain and that by setting up our tent inside one of the buildings would be setting up one in the open. We found a good open spot in one of the more industrial-looking buildings and set up our tent. Zach and I were both shaken from the tires getting slashed, but Victor had already seemed to put it out of his mind. After a short meal... We all climbed into the tent and tried to get some sleep. Laying in my sleeping bag, it seemed that the building was screaming at us. The wind whipped through the wrecked open wide windows. The entire building seemed to groan and sag with the slightest motion of our bodies. On top of all of that, I thought I started to hear moaning low on the wind. A very real, very human moaning. I got to my feet and grabbed my phone, turned on the flash. Victor and Zach both sat up in their sleeping bags looking at me. I held my finger to my lips, listening hard. The moaning was coming closer, coming from what seemed to be just down the hall. I stuck my head and arm out of the tin and stared into the darkness, but the pitch blackness was absolute. I tapped the button on my phone to take a picture, and the flash lit up the darkness like a stun grenade. I saw a figure at the end of the hallway. It was humanoid, but the skin covering its face looked mummified and hung off his skull so loose that I couldn't see his eyes. He was hunched forward like an old man and was holding an axe. He groaned at the sudden flash of light and I heard his footsteps stumbling away into the darkness. I turned to Zach and Victor hissing at them to get up. They were staring at me in confusion, but soon got to their feet. Zach made to start taking down the tent, but I whispered that there was no time. We left the building behind, making our way out of the apartment complex and starting through the dark woods towards our car.
0: I kept my phone up, taking the occasional picture to light our way. My skin crawled. I didn't know what to make of the man. Was he a caretaker? Security? Whatever he was... I didn't like the sounds he made, and I didn't think that the way the skin fell from his face was normal. Then, the worst sound. The moaning returned from the woods behind us and to our right. Run, I shouted, whirling and taking a picture over my shoulder as I sped down the path. We ran for the last few minutes until we reached the car. Victor unlocked it. We piled in and he locked the door behind us. A few minutes passed in silence before I was brave enough to look at the picture I'd taken. We spent the rest of the night in Victor's car, taking turns to listen for whatever that thing was. The next morning, we made our way back into town. We asked around, but no one seemed to have any idea what this thing was. But now, we really know why the residents of Pripyat never returned.
1: And that, as we say, should be taken with a grain of salt. And maybe a little paprika and cumin, too. Even 75 years later, Hiroshima still has its own tales of the strange swirling around the dropping of the atomic bomb. On August 6, 1945, the A-bomb hit Hiroshima at one particular building, Jinbako Dome, in the middle of the city, exploding just above its roof. It was the only thing left standing after the destruction. Known now as the Peace Memorial Park, this is a pleasant, if not a eerily quiet place most of the time. But if you visit early, you might hear pleading voices on the wind crying for help, even though the park is completely empty. The bomb hit the city in the morning at 8.15 a.m.
0: Regardless of the strange stories and folklore that has grown up around these horrors, It must be remembered that both Chernobyl and Hiroshima were human-made disasters, challenging even Mother Nature for their destructiveness. Undoubtedly, scientific and computer technology are exponentially creating new tools and innovation. And yet, our own moral and ethical considerations of that same very progress does not seem to be keeping up at the same whirlwind pace. And neither is our ability to control what we have created.
1: If we remember anything on this 35th anniversary of the disaster, it might well be just that. And hey, thanks for joining us. And also
0: congratulations to our Doctoring the Devil giveaway winner, Key Archibald. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland, and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends. Be weird, stay curious. These are the Q-Files.